have taken your first step into a larger world. Let's go. Hello there. I'm Rowan Williams. And I'm Baz McAllister. And welcome to Force Material, where this week we are breaking down Chapter 12 of The Mandalorian, The Siege. As always, we won't be doing it by ourselves. This week, we're joined by Christina Morse from the Closing Credits podcast. Christina, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. No worries. Now, the Closing Credits podcast is a podcast with a really cool premise. So essentially, Christina aims to kind of break down what all of those jobs you see in the Closing Credits of movies actually Ah, so if you ever watched a movie and been watching the closing credits and thought to yourself, what does the location manager actually do? How much managing do these locations need? She finds out. She has got some of the very best people at those jobs to come onto the podcast and talk about what those roles actually entail, how they got into those positions, uh, you know, and the experiences they've had in the job so far. And you've had some great guests so far, right? Yeah, we've got Gary Rydstrom um, of Jurassic Park fame and Mm -hmm. whatnot, um, Terminator 2. Gary Witta uh, for Rogue One and Rogue Two. Uh, we've got Dave Acord, who uh, does sound also on the sh- the movies and the TV show. Yeah, amazing. And we we got a bunch. It's it's all over the place. Uh, just before we dive into the the guts of the podcast and and we break down this new episode of The Mandalorian, uh, and we'll also take a look at the Lego Star Wars holiday special that dropped this week. Uh, but I do want to mention up top that J.W. Rinsler, uh, who you know a lot of you would know from obviously his books, The Making of Star Wars, The Making of Empire Strikes Back, The Making of Return of the Jedi, The Making of Revenge of the Sith, so many great making of books, and his appearances on, on this podcast, if you listen to this, has been diagnosed just, just uh, recently with stage four uh, pancreatic cancer. So him, him and his family kind of made that public this week. Uh, J.W. is you know, he's a great author. He's a great guy. Uh, anyone who's heard the episodes of this show that he's been on would have uh, I mean, would have heard the hero worship in my voice for sure. J- J.W. Rinsler is straight up the reason that this podcast exists. Uh, so read it. Like I went back and read his making of books in the run up to The Force Awakens being released and just found the sort of historical and cultural context that he was able to play Star Wars in. Uh, you know, so fascinating and, and wanted to kind of break that down more. And that's why, you know, I started doing the blog and then that became the podcast with Baz and so on and so forth. Um, and we used to mention his work all the time uh, on the show. And then eventually, you know, I worked up the courage to ask him if he wanted to be on the show. And he's been on the show a few times since then. So, and he's always been a great guest. I've been in touch with JW this week. He's in good spirits. He's just gone in for his fifth round of chemo. Uh, he plans on sticking around for a good long while yet. Uh, he's still working. He's, he's working on a book about Howard Kazandian, the, the old uh, Lucasfilm vice president who also produced uh, Return of the Jedi. He's just finished up the last captions for that. Um, hopefully he'll be back on the show, you know, a third time to talk about that book sometime soon. Uh, but yeah, obviously what he's going through at the moment, you know, it's not easy. If you want to support him, there are a couple of things you can do. Uh, he's got a new novel all up. It's fiction, but it's also quite heavily researched because it's sort of a fictionalized account of the space race. And if you head to his website, you can find some good links for where you can where you can pick up that book that that help uh, JW and his family out. Um, and JW also suggested just making a donation to you know just the pancreatic cancer charity of your choice if you you know if you're a fan of his work and you 
and you want to show your support. So that said, you know, obviously 2020 has been tough for everybody. If you're not in a position to buy a book or make a donation at the moment, maybe just if you could just sort of keep JW in your thoughts and send some positive vibes his way, I'm sure that would be much appreciated. So yeah, just we're thinking of you, JW. Now on a more positive note, Let's talk about the Mandalorian. Uh, look, there's no there's no easy way to segue from those. It's a tough segue, but we are here to talk about the Mandalorian. It's it's what we do. Christina, what are you, what have your thoughts been on the Mandalorian this season so far? Kind of heading into this episode, uh, I I quite like what they've done with the trailers. Where at this point, we're at a point where we haven't seen anything past what the trailers have shown which i love that they just kind of kept quiet half the season which is great uh i i like the kind of build up people say filler episodes but i i love every little reference i i love little every little thing no matter how creepy <laughs> the freaking spider episode was but <laughs> i i love how like each episode is kind of like a kind of like a story on its own it's got its own little genre in a way in each episode I'm enjoying it so far. How about you guys? Yeah, I, th- I think it's been fantastic. And you're right. The, the genre hopping has been one of my favorite parts of this season. And the way that these, you know, we need to stop using the word filler episodes, don't we? Because they're not. They're, they're, these episodes are being revealed as as having direct repercussions from episodes in season one. And, you know, with the appearance of uh, Paul Sun Young Lee again mm-hmm. in this episode, it kind the of shows man. that, you know, the great man and a friend of the podcast. Uh, it shows that, uh, you know, things are being tied together here in a way that we probably hadn't sort of anticipated. I mean, I didn't expect to see him again and it was a delight to see him again on screen. So it kind of shows that maybe these new Republic cops are going around following what chaos the man was leaving in his wake. And maybe there's something that's going to come out of this at the end of the, the eight episode arc. So that's really exciting too. You're right. It's not, it's not a filler episode in the sense of each of these episodes this season has, you know, obviously being sort of paying off stuff from season one or building on stuff from season one, but also like clearly adding stuff to the mythology of the show and, and introducing elements that are going to be important later on. I, I think where, where it's where it's interesting is that, I mean, despite that, there is still less feeling of like, oh, it's a side quest. Like he's on another side quest. Like he's doing this favour for someone or he's getting repairs or he's doing this thing. Like they feel like side quests at the start of each episode, you're like, here we go. It's another side quest. But then over the course of the episode, it always ends up tying into that, that main arc of like finding out, you know, where baby Yoda comes from and finding out more about the Mandalorian culture. Um, and, you know, him eventually perhaps meeting up with, you know, Ahsoka Tano or, or maybe some other Jedi down the track um, to learn more about baby Yoda. So, I mean, it's definitely going somewhere, but it also, each episode definitely so, so of this season so far has also had that feel of like you're playing a video game, but now someone wants you to go and like fetch a thing or, or whatever. Yeah. I think I said when we were talking about season one, it reminded me of uh, classic 80s action shows like the A-Team and things like that, where, you know, you do go and do a quest each episode, but there's also something that involves, you know, one of the characters traits or something getting, you know, pushed forward in each mm-hmm. episode. And then, you know, you use that story as a way to kind of further that. So it's uh, it's really interesting, the structure of it. And, and it feels retro in that great way too. Yeah. The start of this episode, we see, uh, you know, the Mando having some more parenting adv- or babysitting adventures, I guess, with, uh, with, with, with baby Yoda. What do we think of his, uh, his, his parenting style here? I mean, essentially letting the baby uh, electrocute himself. 
<laughs> the baby's got to learn some way. <laughs> <laughs> as as a father, did this? Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a childless man. I couldn't possibly understand what it's like to have your alien baby uh, electrocuted by some wires. But but as a father, w- did this set off any red flags for you? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's a funny scene, but there's no way. I mean, I. I've had those discussions with my kid. My kid's two and a half. And I've said, look, okay, no, d- not about wiring. I was going to say, you had <laughs> these discussions specifically? Uh, and I'm like, going to call know, protective services. He, Give me one sec. If, if you take the red block and you put it on top of that yellow block, that means that, you know, and, and he's like looking at me going, uh, uh. and yeah, <laughs> I know. I've had those discussions with not less lethal um, outcomes, but there's no way I would let a child, get into an air duct and start fiddling around with I mean it'd be like me boosting him up into the loft and saying there's there's some cables up there I want you to just uh, you know it's it's weird well um, you know you're I'm not going to be able to get up there are you so that the baby's going to no, be I'm not, he's got to serve something I'm purpose. never going into that loft there's snakes in Queensland it's <laughs> a good point there could be a snake up there <laughs> I hear things moving up there and anyway that's a whole different thing um, but I'm just I'm worried about what age baby Yoda is sort of supposed to be portrayed as as well because he kind of rages between you know a, a one year old who knows nothing and maybe like a four year old who's capable of sitting in school and maybe taking something in mm. from a lesson you know so I'm just I'm just kind of wondering what what age he's pitched at because he seems to behave at different ages when the story requires it maybe that's a trait of the species I don't know. <laughs> In this episode, I thought it was sort of ambitious of Mando to think that Yoda was taking any of that in, or baby Yoda was taking any of that in necessarily. It's like, how do we even know that he can see colours? Like, this is, you know, this yeah. is really asking a lot of this guy. Maybe you should have said, like, red wire into the blue wire you put, and then he would have understood. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't eat it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, did did you guys get? Uh, I was, you know, I think a lot of people have probably said this so far, but I was getting some strong uh, Baby Groot vibes off that scene as well. In terms of you know the the opening of Guardians of the Galaxy two with with Rocket trying to trying to get Baby Groot to follow instructions. Yeah, I, and the the bit where Baby Groot's um, you know supposed to press the button. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Now, I, I feel like we say this a lot lately, probably not for the, the egg-eating episode, but otherwise, that this was one of Baby Yoda's best episodes, uh, one of Baby Yoda's cutest episodes. It's probably just, like, in, like, the episode Bibles, just like, hey, just make Baby Yoda look cute no matter what. Just do everything to make it look cute and also eat. It's it's pretty much a Brad Pitt character. It's constantly eating some <laughs> sort of food. That's, that's what it's there for. And hopefully does something else later ages what a uh what a twist that'll be in the next season of disney gallery when it turns out brad pitt is doing the mocap for for baby yoda (laughs) it's it's nice to see he's diversified into you know away from frogs and eggs into like proper sweet snacks now that's true that's true well that you could you could see that as character growth if you wanted you know we talked last week about oh he seems to be making the connection between like these eggs hold the potential for life I shouldn't eat them or whatever, and, and now he's eating, you know, macaroons, which are, you know, a lot, a lot less deadly to uh, to the future of anyone's uh, family line. Do you think they're blue because they're like blue milks involved in the creation of them? You know, I hadn't given that any thought, but I, I bet that's it. Yeah, uh, it's got to be. 
because because we, like Navarro is not. I mean, when I hear macaroons, I associate them with like the high end districts of Paris, <laughs> and and Navarro doesn't remind me of the high end districts of Paris, <laughs> especially a little kid in school eating a packet of macaroons. So I'm like, what's this kid doing with posh snacks at school? What's he doing with snacks at school anyway? <laughs> eating them in class while he's supposed to be listening. Anyway, look, I've got I've got issues with that. It's a noisy rapper too. What I know, right? would allow for that? <laughs> if it if it helps you, uh, if it helps Baz, maybe think of them as like space Oreos or something uh, in yeah. instead. <laughs> One of the interesting things that this show has done is kind of tell stories through its locations. So in season one, you know, we go to Tatooine, and it's not the same Tatooine that we saw in episodes four and six like it's it's there's robots in the bar there's very few people out on the streets like you know there have been big changes as a result of you know the the events of of the of the original films in this you know we see a similar kind of change in navarro where you know last season it felt very much like your classic kind of lawless western outpost town um this season, it feels like they've tamed the West a little bit. Like it feels like, you know, essentially Cara Dune and uh, Grief Karga, they've become the cops uh, essentially in this in this in this town, and they seem to have kind of gotten it under control uh, a little bit. I mean, uh, Christina, what did you make of the new look Navarro in this episode? I quite liked it. I also loved the IG statue that was right outside. Yes, very very cute. I love it. Um, yeah. I- I, do they ever tell us the passage of time? Like, how long has it been that they've tamed this place? Because now, pretty much, Kara is the marshal of the town already. Like, they just rebuilt it that quick. That's pretty. That's pretty good. With a school, that's even better. They they specialize in in rebuilding things really quick because that's another thing I wanted to sort of. I mean, it's you know, it's Star Wars, and and never let the passage of time get in the way of a good narrative. But they seem to be they seem to repair a lot of damage to the Razor Crest very, very, very quickly to have it looking good as new in the space of time it takes baby Yoda to eat half a packet of macarons. <laughs> he's, still, he's still got half the packet left when he's aboard it. And then, you know, the last time we saw him he was in school getting stuck into it. And and you know, if if the base is on the other side of the planet, they seem to be able to get across that planet very quickly on a land speeder or a jetpack and come back. Anyway. Christina, I mentioned briefly earlier your episode with um, Hal Hickel, who's the the animation director for this show. One of the interesting things about that episode, and I would definitely recommend that anyone listening to this who kind of wants to know more about, you know, the the job that the animators at Lucasfilm do, go and check that episode out, is, you know, he was sort of talking about the the, uh, practical Baby Yoda versus the animated Baby Yoda and, you know, essentially, like, how difficult it is to tell the difference because they will sometimes put in little sort of herky-jerky movements for the animated Baby Yoda that make it look like a puppet. And Favreau, in particular, really emphasizes that he doesn't want the animated Baby Yoda to be, uh, to be able to do anything that the puppet Baby Yoda can't do, really. Um, you know, having had that conversation with Hal and, and, and watching the show, I mean, How's your eye in terms of being able to tell the difference between animated Baby Yoda and puppet Baby Yoda? I mean, can you can, do you have any sense when you're watching it of which is which? Uh, I think on my second watch, I try to look for it, but I know at least like when it's walking, it's probably not a puppet because yeah. it it would take too long to puppeteer it. But I I can't always tell the difference because like the face is pretty good mm. most of the time. Like it looks. Uh, 
I'm sure like they enhance it with a little bit of a mixture probably of the effects and practical. So you can't tell which is which anyway, but yeah, yeah mo- most of the time you could sort of tell, but like when it's eating, probably like when it's moving, I, mm-hmm. I can't always tell if it's real or not. Well, it's barfing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know at some point the barf is real because he did wipe it with his cape. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably a good rule of thumb that if he's walking, it's animated. But then again, I mean, Kermit rode a bike in the Muppet movie. So we just, we'll, we, we'll, we'll never know. In terms of like uh, Cara Dune and Grieve Cargo kind of becoming like the authority figures on Navarro, how, how do you think that, go, that kind of plays in with their characters? I mean, Baz, do you sort of have any, have any thoughts on, uh, you know, Officer Marshal Cara Dune? Yeah, Marshal Cara Dune makes more sense than, than, uh, uh, magistrate grief cargo cleaning up the town, I suppose, because he seemed very comfortable with bad guys who knew their way around guns. And, you know, he ran the guild for so long. He He's kind of used to these tough dudes. So I'm kind of wondering if he's missing having 20 or 30 tough guys hanging around town that he can just call on, on, on a whim. He doesn't have to wait for the Mando to turn up to do dangerous stuff. You Maybe know, if he had 20, 20 or 30 bounty hunters, he would have taken care of that base months ago, probably. Because they did say in season one that he was like a disgraced magistrate, right? So he's done this job before. But yeah, you're right. It, it, it's weird how quickly he sort of settled into like nice guy, domesticated uh, grief cargo, as opposed to the dude who's telling all these badass bounty hunters what to do, grief cargo. Yeah. Baby Yoda in space school, we touched on briefly, uh, you know, uh, with the, with the protocol droid for a teacher, we're still seeing Yoda kind of use the force in ways that like a Jedi wouldn't use the force, you know, like it's, he's using it the way a kid would, like the way a baby would, like, he's like, I want this thing. I'm gonna take it. Like it's, it's not like, there's no sort of moral code or sort of inherent sense of morality that he that he might have or, or any or anything like that. He's very much still figuring things out, and you know, I think I think ultimately that's what the show is all about: is like figuring out, you know, who you are as a person, whether it's the Mando kind of developing a personality outside of his cult, or Baby Yoda kind of learning from watching the Mando, you know, how he how he should act. I mean, what did you guys think of uh, Oreo Thief Yoda? adorable but um yeah i it it's nice to see kind of childlike characters not always play where they're super smart mm. they know everything mm. like like they're super badass pretty quick like an aria like that fits in the game of thrones universe but not in this i quite like that uh i quite like seeing characters like a baby act like a baby mm-hmm. um and plus it gives eight more episodes to kind of learn. I, I bet probably episode eight, Baby Yoda's going to do something amazing and just look at dad and go, I did good, right? And he's going to go, yeah, yeah, good job. Yeah. You did good. <laughs> like maybe, maybe his maybe his aging's going to accelerate now that he's being fed so much. <laughs> That's the only <laughs> thing I can think because he's, cause he's eating constantly. Remember the last guy we saw levitating food was Anakin in episode two, and that didn't turn out so good. So uh, well, you got to be careful levitating food with force. <laughs> <laughs> so, one, one of the things I, one of the things I dug about this school scene so much was the, um, the hype, the geography lesson from the, from the droid. Yes. Because there were so many little names and references from the, from the EU 
and from like the role playing game where we're naming trade run routes like the Hydean Way and things like that. Um, and and I think there were, there were other planets and and, and things. Made. I think didn't she mention that? Uh, uh, sorry, I've gendered that droid as a she. I think it was presented as a she. Anyway, uh, m- mentioning I think that Chandrila was the capital of the New Republic now, which is Mon Mothma's home planet, which kind of fits in with the mm. whole rotating capital of the New Republic thing, which is cool. So yeah, it's it's um, it's nice to hear those references, and it just gives you a sense of the broader galaxy beyond the the fringe, the rim where these guys are. It was kind of the first indication of something that I think would be a big takeaway from this episode which is that this show has so much potential to kind of flesh out the backstory of the sequel trilogy and that hasn't really been a big focus of the show so far like which is fine like it's doing its own thing but this episode I think we saw they are sort of starting to maybe pivot in that direction a little bit so you know and as you say Baz one of the first signs of that is we have the protocol droid mentioning the rotating New Republic capital city which is an idea introduced in tie-in material for the Force Awakens um, essentially to explain why it wasn't Coruscant that we saw getting getting blown up in the Force Awakens Um, that just hasn't been touched on at all since then as far as I know Um, so it's cool to see that brought back and then, you know, obviously that kind of leads directly into uh, our, our heroes go to attack this uh, Imperial facility and one of the bigger, you know, whoa, like what, what the hell sort of moments in the series so far is the these vats that they find in there with, I mean, they kind of look like the Snoke uh, vats from The Rise of Skywalker. I mean, did you guys have any thoughts on what's in these things? Uh, did you guys hear the music during that scene? It was very um, Snoke-like, right? Yeah, I couldn't tell if it was the Snoke song or the, uh, is it the Darth Plagueis song? from Because they both have very, very similar sounds. So I was like, hmm, these are Snokes? And they did say M counts. I'm guessing that's midichlorians, but they don't want to really say it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot revealed there, isn't there? Um, you know, obviously they want to harvest Baby Yoda's blood to inject into other, either either inject into existing life forms or inject into clones to grow and see what happens. But it doesn't look like it's clones of Baby Yoda. It looks like it's no. clones of more humanoid, larger things. So, uh, based on all that, and with what we see at the in the reveal at the very end of the episode, I know jumping around here a little bit, I think that all kind of maps together maybe into the dark trooper theory. Are you guys familiar with, with what that all from dark forces? So you, are you saying you think the, the, the sort of the humanoids that we see in those cloning vats or whatever they are, are you saying you think they could be dark troopers? They could be failed early versions of them. And what Moff Gideon is inspecting at the end, there could be almost complete versions. I suspect, I don't know. Uh, I mean, there, there are lots of different versions of what dark troopers are supposed to be. You know, some of them are half mechanoid. Uh, others are fully human, but, you know, they're force sensitive and they're in large suits of armor, that kind of thing. So, so yeah, there, there's lots of different versions of them, but it could be some version of that from uh, from the, you know, the video games and the expanded universe stuff back in the day. That's what I'm thinking uh, that this whole thing's driving at. Because uh, I, I did originally think that maybe the idea that Dr. Pershing had the Camino and cloner insignia on his suit and everything early in uh, season one was, was going to lead towards how do we get Snoke? How do we get Palpatine mm. back from the dead? Mm. 
you know? You know, we've seen Filoni do that with the Clone Wars cartoon where he took like certain elements of the prequels that maybe weren't fleshed out much in the prequels and then fleshed them out in the Clone Wars. So, I mean, it certainly wouldn't be like out of character for him to kind of look at elements of the sequel trilogy and be like, all right, well, how can we kind of like expand on that and almost like redeem some story points that weren't really that didn't really go anywhere or weren't really fleshed out in the sequel trilogy. I mean, obviously everybody makes fun of the, you know, somehow Palpatine has returned and it's like, well, maybe, maybe this is the somehow, like maybe they knew that when they were, you know, in Rise of Skywalker, maybe when they were making that, they knew that that was going to be explored in the Mandalorian. So that's, you know, that's why they didn't bother going into much detail in, in that movie. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that's interesting about the, the dark troopers. Baz. I got to like, I didn't really make that connection, which is probably dumb, but I, I don't know. I sort of saw them as two separate things. Like you had the dark troopers and you had the the humanoids in, in, in the vats. Uh, and I think that's just because for me, like I just immediately went to like, oh, they're, they're Snokes or like they're, they're failed Palpatines or like, or even um, Palpatine's clone children, you know, like because in Rise of Skywalker, obviously he's got a son who the novelization said was a clone. Um, so... You know, that could be Ray's dad in one of those vats. Yeah. For we know. And the only reason I'm thinking maybe that instead of the Dark Trooper thing is the the importance of the child and the midichlorian count. Um, because if you... I don't necessarily think that would be super important if you were breeding Dark Troopers. Um, to me, that's more like, well, that's like a clone trooper or whatever. You want to, you know, like you want to base them on like someone who's awesome at being a soldier or something, but they don't need to have like Jedi blood, um, you know, or, or midi, you know, they don't need to have a high midi chlorian count. Whereas it seemed like, yeah, they were trying to kind of like artificially boost the midi chlorian count of these, whatever they are that they're, they're growing. So that's kind of why I'm thinking, you know, perhaps a Snoke, perhaps a Palpatine, that kind of thing. I mean, Christina, if you if you had to if you had to put money on it, what do you what do you think is in those in those vats? I'm um, going off of the music, so I guess maybe something Palpatine or Snoke related. But I I do like that they sprinkle in things that, like especially Filoni with this stuff. He he loves sprinkling in things that if you're a hardcore star wars fan you're going to find something in every episode there's just something there that you're mm-hmm. going to you're going to pick out more than anybody else but i i quite like that but yeah I'm, uh i didn't even think of the troopers though i too didn't go like oh maybe those are connected i thought those were yeah. just kind of the this is what they're going to fight in the last episode mm. like ahsoka is going to come in and just I'm guessing Ahsoka is going to show up. I'm, you know, <laughs> just, just going to wipe them out. And just they're like, oh no, we're at the last stand, and hey, everybody, I'm here. Whoop, everyone's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, next episode's a Dave Filoni directed episode, so I'm putting money on Ahsoka appearing finally. Isn't it called Jedi? Yeah, it's, it? c- it's called the Jedi. Yeah. Right, well, there you go. Yeah, what do we think of the episode title for this episode? Because I, I don't really think there's a siege going on at any point, is there? I mean, 
Well, it's they an infiltration the into facility, I guess. Well, they didn't really. I mean, if you siege something, you surround it and you bombard it for days and you starve out the inhabitants. It's not really a siege at all. It's like, you get, you get, I don't get as hung up on the uh, dictionary definitions of things as you do on this on this show. I, don't think. I know. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, I like. I, it's good. It's someone needs to. You know, uh, mm. you make you make a good point. Um, and and it it was a little misleading because I, I remember hearing that and thinking maybe it would somehow like reference like you know even like the the history with like the siege of mandalore or something like that but yeah no it was referring just to i guess this this attack on this uh this facility what would you have called it instead bass oh wow um the base <laughs> sure. i don't know <laughs> random base by baddies yeah, yeah. <laughs> The um the Dark Troopers, Baz, I mean, were you a big Dark Forces guy back in the day? Like, did you play it when it when it came out? Yeah, I remember uh, very well playing like Dark Forces, and then all the incarnations of that, like Jedi Knight, and you know whatever else came after that. Mm. So uh, yeah, I, I was there through all the, that stuff, and I've got some some old Dark Trooper figures on my shelf up there as well, which is cool. So um so yeah, lots of uh, lots of good memories, and it's great that you know we're we're bringing in lots of things from old eu um to the Mandalorian. yeah so many things just these last couple episodes have had like a bit of a dark forces vibe in terms of like there's a lot of just running around bases shooting you know shooting stormtroopers or whatever which is like that's pretty high on my list of things that are that are not super complicated but i just love about about star wars i could just watch that all day um yeah and that that's uh that's you know the experience that the creators would have had of star wars and video games and things is kind of the same as what I would would have had because we're of similar ages, I guess. Yeah. So far, I can see Favreau and Filoni playing that video game and just go one of these days in the future, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going <laughs> to put I'm going to make a live action version of this. Um, but yeah, you think about dark troopers, you know, you've got, you've got like the best of Darth Vader's cybernetic technology. You've got the loyalty of a, of a cloned stormtrooper, and you've got like maybe a little bit of a sprinkle of force sensitive, you know, what can they do? Maybe some of them can throw lightning. Some of them can pull stuff. You know, the idea of having a soldier that's got all this stuff going for it mm. is, uh, is quite formidable. So if if that's what Gideon's doing, if he's trying to manufacture a, a super soldier like that, then, yeah, it's, 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 it's big. It's big for the galaxy. When that Pershing hologram appeared and we, and we got some, you know, some more backstory on what he was doing with the child and whatever. It felt like a huge step forward for the show, right? Like it felt like, Oh, and we're making some progress here. Like we're finding out a little bit more about, I guess, what was sort of the, you know, what is the central mystery of the show, even though it doesn't seem to be a huge focus of all the characters at all times of like, what's baby Yoda's deal? Like where, where is he from? What did Von Herzog want with him? Like, what's what's going on with that? Well, how do you guys feel about the intros? That the recaps kind of always showcase who's going to be in that episode. Like, for me, I I like them, but I also I want to be surprised at who I'm going to see. It's like, oh, you showed me the Doctor guy, and now he's back. It's like, mm. so I'm already anticipating something about him is going to be back. I always skip them for exactly that reason. You know, I'll sit down and be like, oh, yeah, new Mando, let's go. And then it'll pop up and I'm like, oh, no, it's the recap. Like, it's going to just tell me what happens in this episode by showing me, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it's exactly what you said. It Like, it, you, it sort of signposts it, everything that's about to happen. And it's the problem with any of those recaps in, like, a serialized TV show, like, for any show, is, like, 
you watch the recaps and you're like, all right, well, those are the characters that are going to be in this episode. Those are the storylines that are going to be advanced in this episode. Um, so I don't know. I like to be surprised by that stuff as the episode kind of unfolds. So that's that's why I uh, I, I skip them. Baz, do you do you skip or do you yeah. watch the recaps? We sat down and, and watched it last night, and I actually remember turning to my wife three seconds into the the recap and said, "Should we just watch this?" And she's like, "Yeah, let's just watch it." So I wish I hadn't. I wish I wish I'd just pressed the skip button. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, um, but we haven't even talked about the the Mithril's appearance yet, have we? Uh, or reappearance? So yeah, that that was pretty cool to see. Uh, Horatio Sands, isn't it? Plays the the Mithril um, to see to see him back. We, was that is that a character that you had sort of fond memories of from that first episode, Baz? Yeah, he he was cool and all, but if you're going to infiltrate an imperial base, you're not going to take that guy <laughs> along. <laughs> like, like this this kind of bumbling accountant, um, he's he's not ideal. And like at one point, his trigger discipline was awful. At one point, he's waving his gun right in Mando's face when he's going through a door. I'm like, dude. <laughs> It definitely did feel like, you know, you mentioned before, like what happened to all the grief cargo's like bounty hunter friends or whatever. Like yeah. it was definitely like, come on, man, like surely there's someone better than Mithril that you could have brought along on this on this mission with you. Yeah. And if you ask me, Grief Cargo was knocking a few too many years off his sentence for all these, you know, things he was supposed to do. I'll take a hundred years. No, maybe start with five years of grief. <laughs> I think that I think that probably says more about uh, the how punitive the sentence was to begin with. I mean, I, I thought you know a few hundred years for uh, some white collar crime seemed a little a little excessive at the uh, at the start of the episode. It's not Rowan, and that's what's wrong with the world today. <laughs> <laughs> what did you uh, speaking of speaking of Mithril? I mean, he's got that great line early on where he's talking about the like the troop transport vehicle. And he's yeah. like, oh, it's in mint condition. And it's like, it's, you know, obviously referencing that that started out as a toy before it um, was introduced into Rebels and then Amanda. I mean, what did you think of seeing that vehicle again? That, that was really cool. Like, it's it's obviously a slightly different version of the troop transporter. It's um, the troop transporter we've already seen doesn't quite have the same guns as the toy did. And this one has the exact same guns as the toy did. And it's, right. it's just all, it's all very cool. It's all, yeah, it, it takes me right back to, um, to one of the, that was one of the first toys that uh, Kenner Palisoy put out. Um, the Imperial Troop Transporter with the little audio bu- buttons on the top where you could press and get the sound effects and things. Oh, so yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, it was great to see that again. And, uh, and the idea that, you know, that this base is there to be plundered. I kind of wonder why they wanted to blow it up in the first place. Like, would you not just go in and try and root out everyone who's in there and then you can keep coming back and get three speeder bikes and sell them on the black market. And then, <laughs> yeah, maybe, I mean, I think, I think, I think their thing was like, they just wanted to be rid of like any sort of like Imperial, mm. you know, influence, but yeah, it's a, it's a good point. You know, maybe it wasn't the most strategic approach. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, we, I talked before about like how much I love just like shooting stormtroopers running down hallways or whatever. I mean, another just really basic Star Wars thing that that I love every time. It's just the banter between, you know, the pilot and the gunner in any sort of scenario like that. And we, you know, we got some a great example of that this episode with uh with Grief and Encouragune. Uh what what did you guys think of that chase sequence? Reminded me of Star Tours. It <laughs> reminded me very much of because I haven't been on that ride in years, but it's like, uh-huh. yep, this this reminds me of a roller coaster complete just the whole time. <laughs> Which maybe they should have just called the episode Star Tours. 
Yeah. <laughs> the Star Tour. Yeah, that would have been, been incredible. Or The Ground is Lava. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's funny. Like, it's not, often, it's not often that you look at an episode of, like, a TV show and be like, oh, I wonder what that would be like if they gave it, like, the 4DX treatment. But there were definitely uh, moments of this episode where it's like, yeah, as, as you say, like, this is the theme park ride. Like, this, this would be awesome in the... Uh, if you gave it the Star Tours uh, treatment. I mean, that whole thing with going over the the edge and like the speeder bikes following them over and stuff. I mean, Mm. and uh, there's so many little references to um, the original trilogy in terms of the the instrument readouts and the Mm -hmm. the noises that the, the the gun emplacements make and the, both the TIE fighters and the, and the Marauder is it they call the transport. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm. Obviously, Mando came and saved the day. Uh, Baz, what did you think of Mando's flying here? Fast, very fast. <laughs> but uh, he he uh, he pulled out a uh, an Anakin Skywalker classic maneuver, right? Yes, he did. <laughs> he tried spinning. That's a good trick. Like <laughs> to take out that last Tie Fighter, he, uh, he he literally just stopped and started spinning, <laughs> going straight towards it. I'm like, wow, that's that's a great. Phantom Menace deep cut there. <laughs> this time we actually see that it is a good trick. It is a good trick. Ball. Yeah. Yeah. I uh I loved the I mean, you know, another great baby Yoda moment there is yeah, when he's got the when he's got the hands up in the in the ship. And it was like, you know, again, very theme park and and very but like that's what a baby would do in that situation, you know, flailing his little biscuits and yeah, and then uh, you know, obviously the the little little baby Yoda vom. I mean Adorable, too cute. Yeah. When they when they kind of get back to the homestead at the end, uh, we 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 see uh, Paul Sung Young Lee, uh, you know Captain Carson Teva. He's back, uh, which was very exciting. You mentioned up top as we were not expecting him to see him again um, necessarily. I kind of thought it was like, oh, that's a, you know when he popped up in episode two, I was like, awesome cameo. You know, certainly didn't expect it would be like a recurring role. Uh, and a- again, props to that man for being uh, just a, a closed uh, vault of secrets. Because uh, you know he- he'd been on the show twice, never mentioned that he'd filmed a spot on the Mandalorian. Then he was on the show to talk about that episode of the Mandalorian and didn't mention that he had another episode coming up in two weeks. So uh, didn't even vaguely hint at it when we were like, "Oh, well, you know, any chance of this character reappearing, etc." So. Uh, you know, well, well played to him. That is a man who respects his NDA. Um, what are your thoughts on like the New Republic kind of having like such an active role in in the show now? Uh, I, it's interesting because this is this is supposed to take place what five ish years after Return of the Jedi, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, also, I I hope he comes back every episode as like a cop <laughs> that just constantly looks for him. That's my hope. <laughs> It's such a it's such a like classic trope is like the cop who's always like one town behind the you know the 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 fugitive like it's yeah it's it's amazing. Yeah, I I wonder how much does uh, the new empire actually take over? Do we do we know that? I'm pretty bad with my lore. It took me a while to go. Wait, what year was this? Well, the thing is, they've they've that's that's not like they've never really clearly said like. I think in some interviews and stuff, the term, you know, sort of time periods like five years after Return of the Jedi got thrown around, or maybe it was five years after the Battle of Yavin, but I I don't think they've ever officially specified it. And I think they've done that very deliberately to give themselves like a little bit of wiggle room um, so that people aren't going like, well, actually this happened here and blah, blah, blah. So I think it's good to like 
have maybe one or two years, you know, a one or two year window either way where we're not quite sure when this is taking place. Um, but yeah, so it's a good question in terms of like at, at this stage of the story, like how established is the new Republic? Like what sort of remnants of the empire are left? And I guess that's what the show is, is fleshing out over the course of these two seasons. I mean, definitely seems like the new Republic is sort of like in charge now though. Right. But it's like, they're sort of ensconced as the, the ruling, uh, they're the boss. Yeah, they're they're trying. I, I guess um, um, they'd be like the European Union, and uh, the Imperial Remnant would be like Britain. <laughs> <laughs> Just doesn't want to be part of it anymore. And I, wants to I, do their own thing. I, I guess <laughs> Lock so. up people in cages. Um, but yeah, I, I love. I really dug the uh, Werner Herzog's Imperial Remnant guys because they were all scuffed up and dirty and didn't have regulation weapons and stuff. The empire that we're seeing now under Moff Gideon's a little bit more shiny, mm. a bit more disciplined. He's got some resources. We don't really know he's got death troopers, which is pretty big. Mm. Like now he's got maybe something even more deadly than that. And all the stormtroopers are clean and well turned out. And uh, you know, even if their their discipline isn't perfect, like they occasionally want to duff up Baby Yoda when he's in a satchel, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> it's just it's a war crime. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's um it's you know, he's obviously very well organized and still has that kind of um adherence to imperial discipline. And he's got his own cruiser as well, which we see at the end too. So Yeah. You know, he's uh, he's a power. He's a power in this uh, area of space. I mean definitely like Favreau said before the first season that we would see the beginnings of the first order in this series. And this is the first episode for me where it really felt like, oh yeah, we are. Like we are actually gonna see the beginnings of the first order um in in this series. Um so yeah, and it was cool to see Moff Gideon again. Obviously, I mean, he was in the last episode briefly, but I, I'd sort of forgotten until Mando mentioned in this episode, like we don't have to worry about him; he's dead. That Mando thought he was dead. Um, so yeah, that was that was interesting to that Mando like knows he's alive now, and you know the the game is afoot. He's got the New Republic after him. He's got Moff Gideon after him. It's uh, it's all it's all happening. Yeah. The the threat seems real. That's one of these things that uh, the Mandalorian has done quite well is deliver a sense of threat while also showing you a bunch of characters that have plot armor mm. uh, as well as Beskar armor. Like when when these four are running around the hallways of the base, you kind of know that none of them are going to get shot and killed. Yeah, but you also do feel that the forces ranged against the Mandalorian are so massive that at some point tragedy is going to happen. Yeah, and someone he cares about is going to die. Yeah, um, and uh, even just you know the, the idea of of the ship getting so wrecked up over the last three episodes um, that it has to just pressurize the cockpit and hope you know when it's held together with bits of cargo net and twine, um, you know that that's the first sense that I got I've ever had in Star Wars that space itself is deadly, mm. you know because it, it's usually just glossed over. You know, space is just space is just space. Like you can walk around inside an exogoth or an asteroid or whatever. And, uh, you know, you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, th- this is like you know, yeah, space is is kind of bad. You got to watch yourself. So it's you know, it's it's doing kind of well with with the threat quotient. What do we um? What do we think that was that that Paul gave uh, Cara Dune at the end of the episode? There, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, it's some sort of like New Republic badge or medallion. Or I mean, what do we think the significance of that is? Well, he said he lost somebody, didn't he? Mm. 
So would it be from that person who also has significance to her too? Yeah, it could be. I mean, and that would make it a really significant thing for him to give her. Like if it if it's something that, you know, really means something to to him. Baz, did you have any sort of sense of what that was? Uh, not really. I'm sure that someone out there knows. I mean, I'm, this must be something. Maybe it's a a medal of Alderman or something like that that's related to, to her. Or maybe it's just something as simple as like a, a cop badge that he's mm. giving to her and saying, if you want to get in on the New Republic, you know, there you go. That's your cop badge. Just use it, put it on when you're ready kind of thing. Mm. But I, I did think one of the, that was one of the silliest lines in the whole Mandalorian. Like When he says, did you lose you, anyone? Yeah, did you lose anyone? <laughs> yeah, I lost everyone. A <laughs> <laughs> whole planet kind of. <laughs> That that goes that goes back to uh, you know episode four nineteen seventy seven like the, the, this whole this bizarre it's like the loss of Alderaan was so huge that people who aren't from Alderaan can't even process it like the you know there's yeah. that famous scene everyone makes fun of where you know this guy that Luke just met two days ago dies and Leia's like oh you must be so sad like she's comforting him and stuff and it's like. Literally everyone she's ever known just died. Like, why is he the one getting comforted? Like, and yeah, this this kind of had that same energy where it's like, oh yeah, your whole planet died. Was that was that bad? Like, yeah, actually, it was pretty that bad. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We lost the guy that pulled my hair in fifth grade, but you know, we also lost a lot of other good people. Yeah, you know, you win some, you lose some. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's that whole quote, you know, what is it like uh, one one death is a tragedy and a hundred thousand deaths is a statistic. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's like they just can't, uh, there's some there's some element of realism to that, I guess. It, it is a little interesting to me, I think that like, and, th- and this comes from, I think, Mando, you know, being part of a cult and knowing nothing about the galaxy, um, which I like that we sort of have that excuse to fall back on now for anything Mando does that makes no sense. Um that he's looking for a place to to take baby Yoda and he's very focused on like I've got to go to this rando Jedi that um, Bo-Katan told me about. If he just had a chat with old mate Paul Sung-Hyung Lee, he could be like the New Republic, Luke Skywalker, Leia Organa, what are they up to? Do they want... Do they want a Jedi baby? Like, could they, could they do something with this? Maybe he's not used to help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, Ben Solo would have turned out pretty differently if he'd had a little uh, Jedi stepbrother, wouldn't he? Can you imagine? Baby Yoda stepbrother. <laughs> Look, anything's possible. It could still, it could yeah. still happen. It could be a part of Ben's <laughs> life that we haven't, uh, we haven't explored yet. That's right. But uh, weirdly, just, just to round off the whole um, Cara June getting the yeah. medallion thing, I guess that, that almost feels like closure of her story. And, and Grief Karga being the chief, the boss of the town now and the Imperial base is gone almost feels like closure of his story. So if we never see those characters again, you know, we, I guess, won't feel dudded in a mm. way because, you know, the, the, they've they've kind of come full circle in a way. Mm. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's It might be a way of kind of preparing us for not seeing them again. I don't know. Look, I mean, I think I can categorically say I wouldn't be sad if we don't see Cara Dune again. But uh, you know, I I, I I see what you're saying. It's um, you know, it's mm. it, it, you're, you're right. Like you could leave their story there, and it would be, yeah, it would be fine. I have a feeling they'll come back in just because 
Mm. Like the Mando doesn't really have that many like supporting characters. You know, he doesn't have many friends. Um, yeah. So I feel like they'll probably maybe come back into it in the season finale or, or something. I mean, that's one of, I can't remember if we talked about this last episode, Baz, or we just talked about it off air or I talked about it with someone else, but one of the, one of the interesting things about this whole series and one of the things that does give it that, like, you know, I'm watching someone play a video game sort of feeling at times is that, you know, essentially the whole show is told from the Mando's perspective. So, you know, it, it normally in a, in, in a drama or whatever like this, like you, you know, it's, we never sort of cut away and we're just like, Hey, what are, what are Cara Dune and Grief Karga up to? Like what's Moff Gideon up to? Like we only ever see those characters when, Either when Mando, when the Mando is kind of directly interacting with them, or occasionally if Mando is sort of in the same area as them, we'll cut to like a minute of of Moff Gideon or, um, you know, or uh, Cara Dune or whatever, where where Mando isn't physically with them. I think the end of this episode when we cut to Moff Gideon look with the, in the room with the Dark Troopers is one of the few times that we have sort of cut to someone who like wasn't in the immediate area of um the mandalorian yeah and the start i guess where where um just after he's managed to mess up repairing the ship he says to baby yoda we got to go to navarro and then cut to what Cara june's up to that moment mm. you know so yeah but even then i mean and then mando lands there just after that yeah episode. but yeah like it's i think you know the, the fact that he's like wandering around the galaxy and we're only seeing things from his perspective like it just means it's going to be a little while before we kind of check in on some of these characters again. Um, but yeah, I do, I do think we'll, we'll see. Um, I think we'll probably see them again. Any sort of final thoughts on this episode before we talk about uh, the Lego holiday special, Christina, anything else you want to kind of call out from this episode? Uh, I, I do. Yeah. I guess I never really noticed there's no B story in these kind of episodes. They're all strictly on the Mando which is interesting. Like, yeah, we never cut it to like, oh, what's Bo-Katan up to? Yeah. Don't know. We'll see maybe later. <laughs> uh, but that's that's cool. I'm super excited for the next four episodes. I can't believe we're already halfway done yeah. with this season. I, they go by way too quickly. Um, but mm. I'm glad we have more, I guess, longer episodes in a way this season. It's it's I like that a lot. And the references, and of course, the old uses of all the uh, sound kind of things for blasters or any of that. But like it, with Baby Yoda, I, for some reason, all I think of is Dave Acord making those sounds in a way because he's part of that voice. And like, that's a pretty good job there in a way <laughs> to just make little cooey noises but <laughs> and be adorable while also working. But uh, and also the anime. For like, I watched a lot of TV, like a lot, and this this series, the animation is really, really like top notch. Mm. Every episode, especially the season, gotten way like top of the line versus last season. And it's like you watch other shows, there's minimal VFX or like Westworld, there's a lot of uh, VFX, but it's like for. Star Wars's first live action TV show, they definitely put in a budget and cared a lot about the animation, you know, outside of the person we saw in the background this episode. <laughs> I mean, they they get their Starbucks moment. I think the VFX supervisor is the Game of Thrones supervisor. Yeah. <laughs> so right. 
Uh, <laughs> you guy. <laughs> yeah. That guy will be edited out by tomorrow, guaranteed. So go back and watch the episode now if you want to see him. They'll give him the special edition <laughs> treatment. Yeah. Yeah. I hope a bunch of people dress up as him uh, <laughs> or she at celebration because there's always like a group of people that does the most obscure character and yeah. i i, I want to be a part of that group of just random person in the background i hope they identify i hope we find out who it was like and i i want to i, I want to hear their their story uh you know and i like i hope they don't delete them i hope they give them a whole backstory mm-hmm. i hope they come up with some elaborate reason for why he's just wearing normal 21st century clothes in um in in the Mandalorian, maybe he's from some planet where that's the fashion. Yeah, uh, you know, it didn't who, look a world away from a radar technician's uniform. It, so. Well, exactly, exactly. So yeah, I I, I want to know more about every the, the character find of two thousand and twenty. A uh, random guy in yeah. background at eighteen thirty four of um <laughs> of Mandalorian. There were some other cool little uh, you know Easter eggs and references and reuses in there, like the Aqualish clan at the start, which was mm-hmm. kind of cool. The, the walrus man clan and there's a, a mimbin native in there too i think one of the people that grief Carga directs to work on the razor quest is a is a razor crest is a mimbin native mm-hmm. um like gunny from squadrons uh, mm-hmm. if you've been playing squadrons so that was kind of cool yeah cool to see those uh, aliens get reused as well and yeah as, as you said christina a lot of sound effects like even the hyperdrive breaking down which is the very first noise in the episode uh, is the very car thing. sound there. Yeah, <laughs> which is great. Yeah, there was one last cool. week that I um, what was it? Oh, like the old like pod race engine sound effect showed up somewhere in yeah. last week's episode as well. Like just just you know random yeah. things like that. And the uh, the tractor beam set up from the Death Star as well with the whole boo. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. I should have set up top Christina. Obviously, like I, we talked about the the closing credits podcast, but your you know like what you actually do is in sound. I mean, is that something that you do tend to be very like conscious of when you watch each episode of the Mandalorian or are you able to kind of like switch off your part of that part of your brain for the most part and, and not notice all of those sound effects? For the most part, I don't really notice it unless it's like, Oh, Hey, I remember that sound or something. Um, if it's not star Wars, I, if it, if I'm noticing it, it usually means it's, they've done a bad job in a way <laughs> but same with like I, I edit also so if I notice editing they did a bad job but with the show I it takes a second viewing for me to actually because I'll wear I'll, like I'll watch it with headphones and actually pay attention usually I don't watch it the first time with headphones I watch it with like surround sound or something mm-hmm. but um yeah, as of late, I've kind of just been like, hmm, do I recognize any of these old school sounds um, like this, like the speeder bike? Because that's like I keep thinking it's my phone going off because that's one of my <laughs> notifications. <laughs> so I was like, oh, great. This is terrible to have. But uh, uh, yeah, no, I don't super, super notice it. But I also I, I love that there's not really a Wilhelm scream anymore it seems very i'm on the side it's overused too much mm-hmm, in because mm-hmm. everybody does it mm-hmm. and supposedly what matthew wood and dave acord they came up with a new version but that's for the movies right so I'm not sure if it's in the tv show i mean we did see a stormtrooper fall for a while because there's no railings that apparently just empire doesn't believe in railings ever <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you, uh, you do you know um you mentioned Dave Acord before and definitely like 
in season one, he was doing like the the baby Yoda noises. Do we know if he's still doing them in season two? Because it seems like I guess maybe with the passage of time or whatever, like it, I feel like he's making more just like real baby noises now than he was in season one. Am, am I imagining that, or is, is he? We, is there more sort of like you know standard kind of baby oohs and ahs than there were in season one? What do you guys think? Well, it's like a mixture. You could definitely hear it in the first season that it was a mixture of like animal sounds and people's voices. But this season, it seems more like they stripped off the layers and Mm -hmm. mainly just kind of made it a baby coo most of the time, Mm -hmm. which I doubt is David. Maybe it's a part of like there's probably layers to it because there's always it's not just one sound. Here it goes. But I I have no idea. <laughs> I hope we find out one day. Like maybe the you know the baby who did the voice for Baby Yoda can become a uh, you know that can become their their thing when they're older. It's kind of a cool um, you know character moment there as well. If if it is progressing more towards baby coos, it, it kind of represents the Mandalorian's passage more into fatherhood because you can't see his face mm-hmm. there's no dialogue between the two so you know it's it's a good way of telegraphing that yes he is becoming more of a, a dad and the baby is responding more like a baby would rather than you know like an animal would mm. to his uh, presence and and yeah the exchange between him and the baby when he's trying to wire up as as you know irresponsible as that was it's still funny and i, I think i saw someone on twitter saying um that the mandalorian here projects the the essence of a, a dad who's terrified to shower and i've been that dad i've been I'm like, <laughs> I, I can't take my eyes off that kid for more than two seconds to go and have a wash because he'll do something <laughs> horrendous so yeah like it's the, that kind of exasperated father it's great well the baby sounds are kind of it's like r2d2 where you don't understand what he's saying so just using inflections can mm. Mm. make us understand what they're saying or like in the next thing we talked about, the holly, the holiday special with the Max Rebo, mm-hmm. he doesn't really speak English to us, so he he has to like have some sort of inflection in what he's saying, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Man, I tell you what, when when Baby Yoda says his first words, uh, it's just gonna it's just gonna end all of us. It's gonna be it's gonna be such an uh, such an emotional moment. Do we think he'll talk backwards? Do we think he'll have the uh, the Yoda speech pattern? I doubt it. That's not how these things work, right? No, I mean it wouldn't make any sense. No. But yeah, uh, I mean yeah. it's Star Wars. He's, he's he's gonna have a husky voice like his daddy, <laughs> <laughs> a little baby Clint Eastwood. That would be yeah. that'd be amazing. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, let's let's talk about the the uh, the other big Star Wars release this week for for a moment, which was the uh, Lego Star Wars Holiday Special. Uh, obviously, the first Star Wars Holiday Special since the. Uh, the infamous Star Wars holiday special back in 1978. Uh, Christina, what were your what were your thoughts on this one? Uh, it reminds me of all the other Lego stuff, which is just yeah. take stuff that we already know and just make it fun kind of thing. Like I, I like the Freemaker series and all of those. So uh, they're not. I sometimes I feel like they're too geared towards children when I watch it, and I'm like. Just want to roll my eyes and I'm really just tired and just want to get to the next scene. Yeah. But that's that's just me. I'm all I also don't have children, so maybe that's just how I am. Yeah. But I I, I enjoyed it. It was interesting to see like all a bunch of characters just 
all of a sudden start fighting each other on tattooing. <laughs> and it, it was, it was cool. But my favorite scene is the Kylo Ren scene shirtless. That's probably my favorite. I've watched <laughs> that way too many times. <laughs> that was, it's probably the funniest thing outside of the constant milk carton that Luke has. Yeah. The blue yeah. Milk carton. <laughs> Baz, what were your, uh, what were your thoughts? I loved everything that the emperor did in it. And I, I couldn't really believe that it wasn't Seth MacFarlane um, doing his voice. Yeah. You know, from Robot Chicken. Yeah. Well, speaking of Seth MacFarlane, if you want to talk about Mithril, I don't know if you guys watch the Orville. There's that, yeah. there's that character played by Rob Lowe that just spurts blue stuff. And yes. that's all I could think of when Mithril just spurted air out of himself. <laughs> 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 That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Uh. <laughs> did the uh did the sort of humor of the of the, the of the special work for you bats? I was expecting it maybe to be a little more you know half and half sort of directly aimed at kids and then stuff that would go right over kids heads and land with the adults, mm-hmm. but it was more the former. I think mm-hmm. it was uh, it was mostly stuff that was pretty direct and and you know kids would take a lot from because I, I i actually sat down to watch this on my own mm. uh without the kid um because it you know I, I knew it was 40 minutes and he doesn't really have the attention span yeah. for that long of a thing at this point um you know he just wandered off you said but, you uh, go you go play with some wires <laughs> and stuff while i uh i watched this yeah, episode yeah, watch this. but yeah it was uh I, I guess it was a tiny bit more kiddie than i was expecting especially because it's a holiday special and, and most kids won't even get the reference there but mm. fans w- w- would more. So, uh, but yeah, it was cool to sort of see, um, you know, the the whole sequel trilogy gang interacting with each other post mm. um, Rise of Skywalker. That was kind of a cool thing to to sort of see, you know, how they how they would get on with each other and what the relationship breakdowns would be. Yeah, that was the big draw of it for me, I guess, was like, I'm, I'm generally don't watch the Lego specials, like nothing against them. There's just like, there's a lot of them and it's not really, you know, it's not really targeted at me. So that's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I was like, oh, I, I'm pretty curious to see like what, you know, it, I mean, I'm sure none of this is like canon, but to, just to get a, a sense of like what the dynamics are between those, between those characters now. Uh, and I thought some of the choices they made with that were actually pretty interesting. Like, um, I mean, this special did more in those opening two minutes to like firmly establish that Finn has the force than the Rise of Skywalker did. I mean, the Rise of Skywalker sort of strongly hinted at it, pretty much came out and said it over the course of the movie. But certainly, like by the time it got to the end of the movie, I didn't sort of have any sense of like, oh, now he's going to officially trained to be a Jedi or, you know what I mean? It was more like, oh, that's cool that he has that sense of like intuition. And, but, but it wasn't like the next logical step from here is to start training with Ray or whatever necessarily. I mean, you know, I hope that's what they might do with it, but so it was, it was cool to see that. Um, uh, I mean, you know, Poe, I guess, wasn't, he was kind of funny. Um, big week for uh, big week for jumpers in star Wars. With, yes. Uh, Poe and the Mon Calamari guy. Yes, for sure. And Darth Vader. Darth Vader as well, exactly, yeah. yeah. I thought uh, Rose Tico maybe kind of got 
done a little dirty again. Um, so she was in this more than she was in Rise of Skywalker, probably. But like, that's not saying much, especially after like she's in most things more than she was in Rise Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I mean, especially like before it came out, there were interviews where you know people involved in making it were like, yeah, she's front and center. Like we've really like, you know, we've made her a big part of this, and then she's just kind of there. Um, you know, everybody is somebody's favorite character and you, you can't like put a spotlight on everybody all the time. But given that she was one of what, only like three actors from the films who reprised their roles for the special. Um, you know, I kind of thought that was a hint that maybe she was going to be in a little bit more than she was, but you know, what, whatever it's a, it's a Lego cartoon. It's not the end of the world. I thought the actor voicing Ray was very good. She very convincing kind of uh, impression of Daisy. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I thought she kind of maybe like slipped in and out of the accent a little bit, but yeah, I thought she was she was she was good. Um, I think one of the other interesting things, just on you know the the kind of follow up to episode nine, was you know I don't I don't know what uh, what what Raylo Nation is feeling about uh, about this special, but I mean I thought it was interesting that uh, they have that kind of a few interactions between Ben and Ray, um, and you know like just the way that like Ray's obviously. You know, it's it's a pretty bittersweet moment for her when when Ben sort of goes back through the portal to his time and essentially back to the timeline that leads to his death. There was that you know that moment where Ray was kind of like you know like was sad when that happened, which was maybe like a little more nuanced and a little more uh, character, more of a character moment than I necessarily expected in a Lego cartoon, you know, holiday special. So that was that was cool. Yeah, it was nice to see her sad when she saw yeah saw him too. So. Yeah, like they they definitely like acknowledged, you know, how that character's story ended up. It wasn't just like, and here's Kylo Ren and, you know, wacky, let's have some wacky adventures, although they did that too. Um, So, yeah, I I thought, you know, much like like you and why, but much like both of you, I mean, a lot of the jokes didn't really land for me because they weren't meant to. Like it was, it was meant for kids. Um, It probably was maybe a little more kid focused than I thought it would be even, Um, but that's that that's on me more than it's on the makers of this i would uh, i would say because that's what i should have expected going in yeah i, I don't know i mean it, it, would you guys be keen to see this become like an annual thing if they referenced the original holiday special more maybe yeah i would have liked to see more references to that because i don't i don't know if they did at all in this well they had chewy's family um that was probably the one big reference was like because in the original holiday special they go to see chewy's family and we had Chewie's family in this. Um, Baz, did you catch any other sort of big references to the 78 special? Not really, no, but, you know, we could have had some music from Jefferson Starship maybe or <laughs> <laughs> or B. Arthur's Cantina, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, um, that, that's, that's maybe they're leaving that for future holiday specials with the Lego characters. That would be good. This is the thing about the 78 special is like, I feel like we're sort of accustomed now to like, nothing is ever just bad anymore. Like if a movie comes out and everyone's like, this sucked, there will be a subset of people who in like five, 10 years will be like, actually the critics were wrong and here's why. And it's actually a work of genius or whatever. It's sort of like the speed racification of, of everything. Um, mm. Whereas like the, the 78 holiday special is one of the few just immutably bad things. Like, it's like, no, that, that will always be bad. There's no, like, there's no audience of people who are like, here's why it's actually good. Like it's got a cult following 
because of how bad it is. Like, because it's like, it's, it's, and it's almost like that thing too, where, um, have you watched it, Christina? I have. Yeah. And you've watched it, Baz, obviously we've talked about it. Before. Oh yeah. So it's like, it's that thing where it's like, it goes past being so bad. It's good. And it's just so bad. It's, it's actually bad. Like it's, it's difficult to even ironically enjoy it. I, I find like, I've only ever watched it the once. Cause I'm like, that was a slog like that. It's genuinely hard to get through the whole, like it's so boring more than anything else. Um, you know, am, am I, am I, am I speaking out of turn here? I mean, do you guys have a soft spot for the 78 special? I watch it in clips. Yeah. I, I, that's what I usually do. Like the stirring of the pot. I'm like, Oh, it's the same actor from blazing saddles. So yeah, of course it's, yeah. it's hilarious to me, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can't want, I, I recently tried watching the whole thing from start to finish and I just ended up skipping around a bit because it, yeah, it is very, very slow, especially for a holiday special. It's very slow and very boring at points or just, this is just too weird for me right now. <laughs> Let me just skip to the next scene of like a cartoon or something. Yeah. 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 I, I've watched it a few times and, and you're right though, Rowan, things that are made now are not just, immutably bad i mean even if someone makes a a film of some young adult novel that should never have been made that ends up getting 12 percent on rotten tomatoes you can still watch it and appreciate that you know the production values are quite high even if the story's terrible and the acting's terrible you know and the effects are terrible there's there's something there that you can take away from it yeah. but this is just now holiday special there's nothing to redeem it it's just such a mishmash <laughs> of ideas thrown together and uh, yeah it's um you know but you're right you, you take pleasure in watching it and going wow i can't imagine how much cocaine carrie fisher would have had in her system <laughs> at this point or how, how much harrison ford was thinking of the money like his character <laughs> um, i mean <laughs> i think i think i think your approach christina is is the is the right one to watch it in clips uh i mean the boba fett clip is obviously one that that you can kind of go back to and it has some interesting sort of archival value i mean i like that they kind of went for that sort of like mobius style to the animation that was something um but yeah well you know actually Beth, we took it's funny we talked last week about like characters going from star wars animation to star wars live action where we, we said that saul guerrero was the first i guess technically boba fett was the first right <laughs> yes yeah you're right although although he appeared as a toy anyway whatever um <laughs> so yeah look that's uh that's the star wars lego holiday special i mean any any final thoughts on that one yeah i I personally probably won't be watching it again anytime soon. Maybe like maybe just to show clips to my friends who haven't seen it. Yeah. Again, just the Kylo Ren scene is very, very funny, but also hilarious to me because it's Matthew Wood voiced Kylo Ren. So yeah. as soon as I heard him talk, I'm like, that's Matthew Wood. And that's all I'm going to think. <laughs> all right. But now I really, I hope they sell the mug that was yeah in, in it that would be really funny yeah, more merchandise when, i guess but when yeah. galaxy's edge opens up again they've got to have those oh my <laughs> they gotta have the sweaters too yes <laughs> that's right well the next uh, logical step now is to do the live action lego holiday special and and matthew wood's gonna have to start getting ripped for the uh you know for his for his big shirtless scene I'm laughing only because, um, yeah, I, I mean, there are people who have crushes on actors and stuff. I'm a weird person that has crushes on 
sound designer. Like Gary Gary Rydstrom is just such a beautiful man. And Matthew Wood is like, we share a birthday. I don't care. It's just like, oh, that's nice. (laughs) It's my, that's what I fangirl about. It's like, oh yes, these people versus, oh, it's Adam Driver. I guess. Yeah. He's the Hulk of a man. (laughs) You've had Gary Rydstrom on the show. I mean, have you had Matthew Wood on the show? Uh, not yet. Um, <laughs> I think that's a scary one to me. Like Gary Wrightstrom, he he's one of the few people that had his camera on when he turned on Skype, and I I freaked out because I didn't. It felt because his background was like a bookcase, and he had a very teacher. Like I felt like I was having a a moment with my teacher after class. Like we're like, hey, <laughs> we need to go over some assignments, and it felt weird, but. Uh, <laughs> Matthew Woods, I feel like that one's kind of like there are people that scare me, I guess, when interviewing people because mm-hmm. I admire them so much. Matthew Woods started at Skywalker Sound like a few days before I was born. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's kind of weird like that. So to follow somebody's work, like Gary Wrightstrom, that scared the hell out of me when I did that. Like he knows I cried in front of him when <laughs> I, I met him a few months ago. I was like, "Hey, I like you're the reason why." Like I I got into sound design. He's like, "Oh my gosh, why?" <laughs> but you should stick to editing. There's more money outside of that, which is true. Sound doesn't have much money in it. That's very true. But I've been thinking of Matthew Wood just because when I had David Acord on, he couldn't talk too much about Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But Matthew Wood, I'm fairly sure he's like Gary Rydstrom. There's like no holds bar. He could just talk about whatever outside of whatever the new Wilhelm scream is. And I think (laughs) the Death Trooper, I don't, I think those are the two things he hasn't explained at all. Mm. But yeah. Nice. Well, when he hears this podcast, he'll be beating a path to your door. I mean, I think he knows by now, like every time there's a celebration or he's here in Sacramento, it's like, it's me again. And he's like, it's you. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. That just about brings us to the end of the show, I would think, guys. Christina, where can the people find you on the internet? Uh, They can find me on, I guess, Instagram and twitter with the name christina with a k morse m-o-r-s-s pretty easy and if you i guess if you find me on facebook i don't know i'm the only person with my first and last name so yippee for me very easy to find or you could check out my podcast which is just at closing cred on all the social media i think yeah so it's not too hard if you want to check out the podcast doesn't matter if you are into filmmaking or not it's for film goers and film makers to learn a little be educated maybe you'll learn a bit about star wars on the way and how much work it takes with all those hundreds of people you see in the credits yeah yeah definitely uh would recommend it to anyone who if you listen to this chances are very high you would also uh enjoy closing credits podcast um baz obviously people can find you at uh, at baz McAllister on twitter uh, I am at Rowan underscore Williams and the podcast is at Force Material on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Generally easiest to get a hold of us on Twitter because that's where I seem to spend most of my time. Because he's a masochist. 
that's that's right. Uh, we are back next week uh, with our breakdown of episode five of Mandalorian. Uh, for that episode, we'll be joined by uh, StarWars.com and Nerdist contributor Kelly Knox. So that should be another fun one. I'm Ron Williams. I'm Baz McAllister. I'm Christina Morse. And you've just taken your first step into a larger world. <laughs>